This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Matt Addison here with David Lynch and Theo Squires alongside me. Here as we take a look at the latest Liverpool FC stories ahead of their trip to Crystal Palace on Saturday. Liverpool left it late to beat Jose Mourinho's Tottenham on Wednesday night. We'll talk about that. Plus what Jurgen Klopp had to say in his press conference on Friday morning and a look ahead to the trip to London too. We'll start though with a quick look back at that Tottenham game and I'll come to you first on this one, David. Jose Mourinho claimed at full time that the best side lost. That was very much nonsense. Yeah, I thought it was a, quite a big claim. Um, I thought, to be fair to Tottenham, I thought, you know, they did impress me actually. I think, you know, you've been looking at them throughout this season. I've been slightly cynical about, you know, can they keep up this rate of finishing chances? Can they keep giving the ball up and, and, and still win games? And I think... To be fair, I think they showed at Anfield that they, they possibly can, you know, to, to come away with 24% possession but have the chances that they had against a, a Liverpool side that are really good at controlling the counter, generally speaking, it was, was actually quite impressive. But to say, yeah, to say that they were the best side, I think, was slightly pushing it. I think as good as Tottenham were or as much as they impressed me, I thought Liverpool were the, were the better side. The, the fact that Tottenham was sitting so deep and yet Liverpool was still finding those gaps and, and creating chances themselves sort of shows how good they are. And then at the end, obviously, showing that, you know, it's not just about their ability as a football team as well, but they've got, they've got that character and, and also that sort of, you know, ability to even score from set pieces as well. It's another string to the bow. And, you know, that's the reason that Liverpool are the champions. Yeah, very much so. Uh, we spoke about this on Wednesday, Theo, for the debrief. Roberto Firmino, obviously, with the decisive goal right at the end. He's very much back and, and very much performing at a level that we're more associated with him over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, very much so. Um, I don't think anyone can really ever doubt Roberto Firmino's quality because there must be a reason why Jurgen Klopp has so much faith in him, how he's been his most used player ever since he rocked up at Anfield. Uh, granted, he's not going to be your 20, 30 goal a season striker, but he doesn't need to be when he's got Salah and Mane alongside him. Um, he does every so often have a little drop in form. I think he can lose confidence when the critics are against him. Uh, I think it's certainly worked against him not having fans in stadiums because he's a very emotional player. And we saw that when he's got the goal and the passion came out and that celebration certainly helped him hearing them sing in a sea senior in the stands alongside him. But he is a world-class player. He's why Liverpool have got such a feared front three. It is not that two of them are carrying Roberto Firmino. He is so crucial to the way they're playing. Just because he's not getting the goals you'd expect, he's still been getting in the positions and creating chances. Uh, last few weeks, we've seen him step up. He's been getting closer and closer, seeing more like the Bobby Firmino that we know and we recognise. And now, hopefully, this uh, performance can really take a step up there. Because if he can do that against one of the, the strongest teams in the league then he can do it against anyone Roberto Firmino is back very much so yeah Curtis Jones as well is a, a player David that we've spoken about a lot of late we know how good he is we've seen now consistently how good he is but was that right up there do you think on Wednesday night as one of his best if not his best performance for Liverpool yeah I think it was the one the performance where we've seen sort of literally everything that he's that he's capable of doing and, and against a top opponent as well and um, you know, it's, it is, we've talked about that maturity in the past, but, you know, I think that's what is just going on up level by level. You know, every time he sort of, every week passes, he's just getting better and better. And, you know, he's, he's just so sensible in possession. He doesn't, you know, and he brings out the flicks and tricks, the moments he should be used, which, you know, is another sign of, of his growing maturity as a player and 
just so much quality. He just looked at no point did you sort of think that he's the teenager in that midfield. He was as sensible as any of them. He took up good positions. He was, you know, strong in the tackle, you know, really cool head in there in a, in a game that was tense at times. So, yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal talent, isn't he? And it's um, it's going to be a real battle for the, the players that are coming back to fitness now. You know, looking at Oxley Chamberlain and Naby Keita, they're going to have a battle on their hands to get back into that Liverpool midfield because I think Curtis Jones has really, really staked a claim in this time. Yeah, that's very much the, the point, isn't it, Theo? That he's been so, so good this season that even with Keita, even Thiago, Chamberlain, all of these players, James Milner perhaps, that we're going to touch on a little bit later, there's not really anyone out of Jones, Henderson and Gini Wijnaldum that you'd want to take out of this Liverpool team right now. It's a strange one because I think at the start of the season, if you'd ask any Liverpool fan to choose their three midfielders to start, it would have been Fabinho, Jordan Henderson and Thiago. So well, we've not seen that at all because Fabinho's had to play in defence and with the injuries and everything. But it's like Gini Wijnaldum's found this new form as he's playing for his future, playing for a contract. And then when you've got the fixture list and all the injuries and everything, I think it's realistic. People realise you can't have the same midfield in every game. And it's just Liverpool's strength. And I've said it on podcasts before about Curtis Jones, that he, even if he's not in the team, he is benefiting so much from being on the books at Anfield at the moment in training with all these players. Like imagine you're a teenager and you're going to work today and you're training with Thiago Alcantara. He's just been named in like the best team um, in FIFA for the year. He's got all these top pros say he was one of the best three players in the past 12 months. And then he's got the leaders like Henderson, Milner. He had Lallana until last summer. When Alden, who's been linked with Barcelona and he's just getting better and better this season. It's such a good learning curve for him. And the fact that he is in this starting eleven and he's not looking out of place, uh, I think there's a comparison there you can do to, say, Phil Foden. At Manchester City, they've been going on about him for years, how he's this good talent. But Pep Guardiola doesn't quite fancy him in the Premier League games. He's not been starting him in the last few months. It's only, I think, week, midweek he's got back in the starting eleven for them. And he'll trust him more in the Champions League games. Whereas Curtis Jones, granted it might be a bit because of injuries and the options have been lacking, uh, he's been given the opportunities and he's grabbed it with both hands. I don't think anyone will have any doubts about him being in any Liverpool lineup for the rest of the season. Compare that to earlier in the season when he was being substituted at half-time in a couple of games. And it's completely right saying, well, Kate is going to have a fight on his hands because when he's been given the opportunities, when he's broken down with injury, Oxlade-Chamberlain will hit form and then he'll have another injury. But we've not seen that yet from Curtis Jones. And when he's so confident and he's so mature, it is a new direction, completely full of positives for Liverpool. Because if you're one of these senior pros and you've got a teenager who's keeping you out of the team, they're going to have to be doing something special and training to get a place back in the team. But as we all know, the opportunities will be there because the fixture list is so congested. And I'll stay with you, Theo, for the next question as well, from one 19-year-old to another in Reese Williams. How impressed have you been with him of late? And do you think there's a possible question now over whether Liverpool need to dip into the transfer market, given how well that he's been performing at the back? He has surprised me. I think he surprised most people because if you'd said um, 12 months ago, even six months ago, that a player that was at Kidderminster Harriers on loan last season would be first choice for Liverpool against Tottenham Hotspur, you'd have scoffed at that. You wouldn't have believed that for a second. But he's come in and he's done a good job when he's been trusted. Uh, in the Champions League, he hasn't looked out of place and he's just gone up against arguably the best striker in England and he's kept him quiet. Uh, he's got a bit of everything, doesn't he? He's tall like Van Dijk. He's got the pace like Gomez. He can dribble it out a bit. He can pass a bit. And it's encouraging signs for him. It's still that question mark whether you can keep it over consistently over the rest of the season. 
and you've still got Nat Phillips there and you've got Joel Matip as when he's fit. Maybe Liverpool do need a more senior option because they're only one more injury away from, say, Matip broke down for a long spell. They are really down to their bare bones. But if Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp decide that they are completely happy with the options they've got there, Reese Williams has shown that he can step in. And youngsters, while they will make mistakes, they'll learn from them too. And Trent Alexander-Arnold, he got his opportunities, made a few mistakes early on, and we've seen what a play he's grown into. Curtis Jones grows and grows, gets better with every game. Hopefully, Reese Williams can be another one. Before we move on from Tottenham then, David, how much do you think they proved on Wednesday night that they can really genuinely sustain a title challenge, even though they play in a, a very specific, not particularly entertaining way? They are quite good at, at doing that. Yeah, that's it. I think, you know, I think it's easy for when you maybe support a team like Liverpool is to, to look down on that style of football and think that, oh, there's no way a top team could play like that. But I, I do think, you know, like you say, that, that Tottenham sort of showed that, that it is possible to, to sort of compete when you when you are doing something a little bit different. You know, you don't want the ball for most of the game and, you know, they can still be deadly. It's just incredible, isn't it, that the amount of times they got into one-on-one situations having 24% of the possession. They're so, so good at that. And when you were so, so good at anything, you know, the possibilities there for you to be right up there. I think the thing that might sort of harm Tottenham is the fact that if Liverpool keep getting players back and obviously we've had some positive injury news today, then the, the, the possibility for them to, to really go on a run is, you know, that that sort of increases, doesn't it? I think Liverpool, you would still make them the favourites. They've looked the most convincing and they are now at the top of the league and they're getting players back. So that could really go against Tottenham. But I think in terms of, you know, getting them back in the Champions League, certainly, and, and then, you know, maybe giving City a run for the money for, for maybe second place or, you know, hoping that maybe Liverpool do keep picking up these injuries that they've had all season, then, you know, they could be right up there. So, yeah, I think I've, I've been, I was very impressed by them, you know, before that. Um, but you went up another level in my estimation, I think, in, in terms of the performance at Anfield. It wasn't always pretty, but... They give Liverpool a lot, you know, a lot more difficulties than the most teams have come into Anfield in recent years. Yeah, some very, very good names in there as well. It'd be interesting to see how well Gareth Bale can do if he can get himself fully fit and, and things like that. There's one or two names certainly in that squad. Let's have a, a quick chat then about Divock Origi, Theo. Reports linking him with a move away from Liverpool. But we saw really on Wednesday night that Liverpool don't have a huge amount of depth at the moment. So... What do you sort of think in terms of, of January? Should Liverpool be letting him leave if he wants to? Or do you think possibly he should stay unless a replacement's signed? It's one where there's two sides to the coin, aren't there, with Divock Origi. If Liverpool have everyone fit, they don't really need him. Uh, they've got a very competent front three in reserve in Yota, Shakiri, and Minamino. And it's one where they suit Liverpool style, they suit Klopp style more than Divock Origi. And then if you're looking more long-term, where well, you've got Harvey Elliott to come back on loan and he will be an option there as well. I think that's definitely part of Liverpool's future. So you've got to make that decision now as the club. Well, do you need Origi for these six months to keep you going to the end of the season and then sell him? But then from the player's point of view itself, he's got a place at Euro 2020 to look out for. He knows he's not going to get the opportunities. Like He's only come on as a sub in the Premier League twice this season. And that's despite all the injuries and everything. He's never going to get closer to first-team football at Anfield. And with Liverpool, it's like, would well, you want to sell him now and get as much money for him as you can or loan him out now and hope he can play him into some form and increase that uh, asking price? Or do you keep him as a reserve option on the off chance that you might need him? We've seen in defence how Liverpool can get caught out by injuries and need that depth there that you didn't think would be even close to the starting eleven, like Nat Phillips, for example. But then... They do still have a lot of attacking options. And if they really did get down to the bare bones, 
any of the front three can play up front. And you've still got like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain could do a job there. Nadi Case could probably do a job there if you wanted to, or Ginny Wenalden. They have got those players there. Origi is probably one of the ones who most likely to be happy to let go of. So there isn't the need for the replacement. Um, but it's whether Liverpool do want to sign in January. Like, say you wanted to bring in a centre back, uh, they've only got, I think, one overseas place left in the squad at the moment. And that's only because Van Tyke was taken out of the squad from the knee injury. Well, if they go into the medics and the medics say, yes, he'll be fine to play for the last month of the season, they're going to have to register him at the end of January. So that space is taken away. So to create that space to sign someone, it would be by getting rid of a player. And that is where Ari could come into it. If Jurgen Klopp wants to go and sign a foreign centre-back as an alternative, then someone needs to go. Otherwise, he is limited to looking at, say, a Ben White. And it's harder for him. Um, I think he should go. I don't think he's going to get back into this Liverpool team when he has been given the opportunities this year. He just hasn't done it. Uh, it's a shame for him that he's going out on an underwhelming note if he does get sold. But no one's ever going to forget his high moments. The Champions League wins against Barcelona and Tottenham. He is definitely an icon, a cult hero. And hopefully, wherever he goes next, whenever that might be, he can uh, find some consistency and turn those one-off games where he's been so dangerous into a consistent run. I mean, that's exactly it, isn't it, David? He's got all of the traits that you would want. He's got a lot of things that Jurgen Klopp would want from someone in his forward line. You think of the pace, the ability to score these big goals, but he just doesn't seem to quite be able to make the impact this season. Yeah, I think I think the lack of a run of games really hurts him, doesn't it? Some of the best form he's had at Liverpool is when he's sort of He's either being introduced in those last, the you know, the final parts of games where there's tiring legs and he can throw himself around and, and really cause damage against tiring defenders. Alternatively, some of his best form has been when he's been cemented in the starting eleven. That running, you know, up around the Jurgen you know, Klopp's first season towards the end of them when he was getting a consistent run of games. He, that was probably his best consistent run of form, really, for Liverpool, let's say. And um, so, you know, he's never going to get that run of starts at Liverpool and, and also even opportunities off the bench has sort of been proven hard to come by this season with the options Liverpool have got. So I think it is probably the, the right time for him to move on. Um, and I think, you know, I think for club and, and player, it would be would sort of, if a, if a decent January move came around at such as Wolves, I think um, they, would, they would probably push for that. I think I think even for Wolves, you know, looking at it and we're talking about the difficulties that Arini's had, he still looks like a really good signing for me for, for a club like Wolves. I think, you know, with, with Jimenez, we don't know when he'll be back. Um, you know, he, he looks like a good fit for that centre-forward position in the way that they use their centre-forwards. Um, and, you know, and with a good team like that, with so much talent around him, I think he could really thrive there with a the consistent run of starts. So, um, you know, that, that looks like a sensible move to me if they, if they can get it together. Yeah, certainly a, a club that has been interested in, in him in the past as well. But uh, yeah, we will see what happens over the next few weeks with Divock Origi. One thing we do know is that Jurgen Klopp held his pre-Crystal Palace press conference earlier today and he provided a triple injury update. Here's what he had to say on Thiago Alcantara, Zerdan Shakiri, and James Milner. He is, he is. And um, we already made jokes here. Um, but we said, yeah, I think we should sign Thiago for January. Yeah. Um, and... <laughs> So it gets closer and closer, and um, it, it is a good way. But we will not rush it. We cannot rush it, and um, and he is he will not because he's not allowed to rush it. So, um, but of course, it's nice having him on the pitch, training, doing a lot of stuff. But he was not in team training yet, and that's actually the final step. Um, we will see how this weekend looks with him on the pitch, and then next week, can he be in team training? I don't know in the moment. One hundred percent, few tests. 
Uh, he has to pass a few few tests on the pitch until we make that decision. And then, yeah, hopefully that's not only for him the case. Uh, with Millie, it will be similar. With Shaq, it will be similar. Um, did I forget? <laughs> if I forgot somebody, it's not for it's not that I'm disrespectful. It's just a, a lot of players are injured in the moment. So. Yeah, Tiago Alcantara, Theo, the obvious big boost there. He won't be back for this weekend, but could be back in team training soon. Yeah, it's great news, isn't it, for Liverpool, for Liverpool fans. Uh, there's always been this excitement around him, and we've not really seen him get going yet at all. Uh, I think early reports were saying that we might not see him again until New Year. So to see him potentially a week, two weeks ahead of schedule could be great for Liverpool going into what is going to be a busy festive period from the glimpses we've seen. He has looked a proper player, a proper talent that we all knew. And you think um, if it had been any other player who Liverpool had spent that sort of money on and the, they'd missed so much football with injuries, you'd hear the groans and the grumbles, the doubts about his mentality. Like We knew he had suffered injuries last year with Bayern Munich, but the fact that there hasn't been anything like that at all, that says how good he is valued, how good a player he must be, the talent he does have, and just that excitement to get him going in this Liverpool team. The fact that they can have all these injuries and still be three points clear at the top of the table, having just beaten Tottenham Hotspur. And then you're just about to put one of the best midfielders on the world into that side. Hopefully he can get a run of games and get going and show that quality because I don't think we've got any doubts that he'll be able to settle into life in the Premier League. He just needs that run of games. But it's going to be a boost for everyone. We've heard the players talk about it in training now. It's just like, wow, you're all watching what he's doing. We've all seen it ourselves from like some of the clips on social media and the way he passes a ball from the, the game and a half we've seen him in action. Uh, just what can he do in the second half of the season when Liverpool will be going out to defend the title? They'll be looking to make an extended run in the Champions League. He might not have had the biggest part in the season so far, but he didn't have the biggest part in the first half of the season for Bayern Munich. And we all know how that year turned out for them and for him last year. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, there's, there's obvious huge excitement about Thiago, David, but I suppose it, it's not just about him. The fact that Shakiri and James Milner are back too, it's two more options for Liverpool at a time when they don't really have too many. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you look at Shakiri, that, that really takes the pressure off the front three at a time where you, you've got Jota out at the moment. We know we won't see him for a little while, so to have Shakiri back would be a big boost in terms of options off the bench as well. Um, and Milner, obviously, his versatility means that's basically a boost for all across the eleven. perhaps even playing backup goalkeeper. So, um, yeah, that's that's good news as well. So, yeah, the, the squad's starting to look stronger. If they can get to this uh, through this next two weeks now and, and not lose any more players, then the, the squad will be really looking good going into the new year. And that, that gives you big confidence, doesn't it, for Liverpool's title push? Yeah, I'll stay with you, David, for the next question as well. Jurgen Klopp was asked about the, the FIFA Best Awards. He was named for the second successive season the best manager in the world. What did you make of Klopp winning it? And also his reaction to that today, which I thought was was really interesting, actually. Yeah, I think he had a point about um, Hansi Flick maybe not winning it. I think that, that perhaps feels a little bit unfair, but I suppose... Um, Managing Bayern Munich to a, a series of trophies is probably a slightly different job to, to what Jurgen Klopp did at Liverpool, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the ending of the, of the wait for the Premier League title and, and, and just a fantastic job he's done since as well to, to look to build on that, even through all these injuries. I think um, for me, you know, I think he is the best manager in the world. I think um, I think what he does on the, on the budget he's done, obviously Liverpool have got quite a bit of money behind him, but not not quite the level of, of the likes of Bayern Munich or even Manchester City, Manchester United, Chelsea in their own in their own league. So 
for Klopp to have established Liverpool as he has, which is right at the top of the European, uh, you know, in terms of European giants, he's right up there, Liverpool, you know, back on the back on the perch, so to speak, is just speaks out of how good a manager is and um, you know, I think he'll, he'll have a really good shout for that that title again if he can uh, if he can back it up by winning the Premier League title again. Yeah, absolutely. Klopp very keen to praise his backroom team as well. It's not just an award for him, of course, but Pep Linders and, and all the rest of them too. But Theo, there was three Liverpool players named in the, the team of the season. I think you mentioned it yourself earlier on. Alison Becker, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Thiago Alcantara, of course, winning it mainly for what he's done with Bayern Munich. Do you think there was a couple of Liverpool players who were slightly unfortunate to, to miss out on that? I mean, Andy Robertson, for example, is, is one that I probably would have had in there. Uh, yes and no. I think it's one where if we'd been in a normal calendar year, we hadn't had football suspended, we hadn't had the Champions League revamped and Liverpool with fans and everything had been able to fully go in all fronts. And probably, if we're being honest, might have just kept up as an Invincibles last year if football hadn't been suspended and it wasn't all this uncertainty. Then maybe you would have seen more players in this team. But Bayern Munich did work, go on and to achieve something special. So you can understand why some of their players are in that team. Like Alfonso Davis, he had an incredible year. Uh, Robert Lewandowski, I think it's a big shame for him that there's no Ballon d'Or this year because he's fully deserving of that award and he's got the FIFA Best Award. Uh, it's one where you can't really ever look past Messi and Ronaldo, can you? So maybe Salah and Mane are a bit hard done by. But Trent Alexander-Arnold is the best right-back in the world. Alisson's the best goalkeeper in the world. They're deserving of they, their places. And I think they're all going to say, aren't they, that it's not about these individual awards or places in team of the year. It's about winning the Premier League. It's about winning the Champions League. Those are the medals and the accolades that really count. If you can be in this position next year and you say Liverpool won one of those trophies again, but they haven't gotten the team of the year, who's really bothered? They've got the prize that matters, the ones the fans care about, the ones the players really care about. It's the main thing. It's just a nice little bonus at the end of the day that you pretty much forget about within a month. Like, can anyone tell me who was in the team of the year last year? I certainly can't. <laughs> no, certainly not. Certainly not. Don't don't try and test me on that. The uh, the final thing then from the the press conference, David. The five substitutes rule was brought up once again. We know Jurgen Klopp's feelings on that. I am in total agreement with him. To be honest, I think it would help certainly in the the welfare of the players. But we know that that has been voted down again. But we do know now that Premier League teams will be allowed nine players as substitutes on their bench for every Premier League match. What do you think the, the logic is behind that? And how much of a difference do you think that might make? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how, how helpful that is. You know, for Liverpool, that would just mean putting more academy players on the bench at the moment, you know, particularly the amount of players they've got out. So I'm not entirely convinced that that's, that's particularly helpful. I suppose it gives you more options in a certain number of positions and therefore you can... You know, if you know you're bringing on a, a, a centre half late on in a in a game, you can you've got more of those to pick from, and, and who who's got the less uh, the least minutes in the legs and things like that. I don't know, it, it, but it's not it's not what Jurgen Klopp wanted, is it? I mean, I've been slightly cynical about his argument on this. I think I'm, I'm not completely convinced that in in every moment he's done himself favours, but I, I've not enjoyed the sort of sniping at him over the Spurs game and the the. the they're not making a substitution in that because I think that's a very unfair example. I think obviously in that game it was it was incredibly tight. He looked to the bench and he's only you know he's got two players who are only just back from injury and, and possibly prone to to re-injury. Um, you know a couple of academy players and and then you know not much beyond that. So I don't think that's a good example of, of where he, you know where he's sort of fallen short in that argument. There's maybe others where he could have 
you know, maybe protected Genie Wijnaldum a little bit more and maybe Andy Robertson. I think they've put a lot of work in this season. But yeah, I, I suppose that's a it's a moot point now because, you know, he's got this this nine nine substitutes on his bench and still only three he can use. And I suppose the only upside is, like we said earlier, is that he's getting some players back now. So that should hopefully give him the option of at least rotating his squad, his, uh, his starting eleven. Uh, from week to week and, and, and maybe easing the load and a few of these players who've, who've cut through a lot of uh, minutes so far this season. Yeah, as, as David says there, Theo, I mean, it, it's not quite as simple as saying, well, Jurgen Klopp didn't use those substitutes. There's very good reasons why he didn't do that. There's lots of inexperience there. There's lots of players like Oxlade-Chamberlain coming back from injury. It shouldn't really be picked out as a, a criticism of Jurgen Klopp. Or even something as, as simple as someone saying he, he might be hypocritical in that regard. I think there's two ways to look at uh, substitutions in the Premier League this season. And I think all the people having a go at Jurgen Klopp are very much looking at one side as opposed to the side he's looking at. He isn't interested in how these substitutions will impact games. It is very much about player welfare. He said before there have been times when he'd want to take off, say, an Andy Robertson or a Genie Wijnaldum. He just hasn't had the options. And yes, there have been games where he hasn't used all his three substitutions. But that's very much game management. When you know that you're a starting eleven, you've got faith within them to see out the game, to manage the game, and a change could jeopardise that. You don't want to rock the boat. I'm thinking Manchester City, Tottenham. And those are, I think, why opposing managers have got an issue with it. Because if teams can put in more of these players to change a game, then like the lower teams aren't going to be able to have the ability to compete with like the depth of a Manchester City, a Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea. But they're completely overlooking the player welfare side of it. Because the lower league teams or lower Premier League teams, they haven't had these European commitments that the top sides have. And granted, it's supposedly done them favours because they haven't had as many injuries. But we're now entering this festive period when they're essentially going to be getting European commitments. So they're going to have more injuries now from the players playing that. And granted, they don't have the options in the squad. But then it's like, well, if you don't have the options in the squad to make five substitutions, you certainly don't have to name these nine. So the logic there doesn't really make sense for me. And if you look at the ones who've been most vocal about it, it's what, Sean Dyche, Chris Wilder. Well, where are they in the Premier League table? If three substitutions and all this is not helping you now when one of them's got one point right at the bottom of the league, is an extra two substitutions to protect welfare just to have fresher legs in the Liverpool side going to make that much of a difference? No, it's not. Maybe we'll see a change the next time they hold the Premier League meeting because in a month's time, you'd imagine there'll be a hell of a lot more injuries around the division rather than it just being the team with European commitments. But it looks like it is a battle that Jurgen Klopp is going to lose because they've, what, three times now knocked it back. He might just have to be happy with his compromise and hope that his players coming back that this time they can keep him fit. Yeah, I suppose the positive for Jurgen Klopp is that Liverpool are top of the table, even with all these injuries. And you'd imagine if they can get one or two back, they will only get even stronger. Let's talk a little bit about Crystal Palace then, that game to come tomorrow afternoon. It's often seen as a tough place to go, Selhurst Park, David, for Liverpool, but... They have actually won each of the last six trips there. The last time they didn't win was a 3-1 defeat, I think, in November 2014. Yeah, and, and that, I, that is a good run when you put it like that. But, you know, having, I've been at a lot of those games and sort of remember them all being, you know, very, very difficult for Liverpool. You know, I don't think any of those wins sort of came easily or they've all been sort of by the odd goal or, or felt that way anyway. It's been, uh, you know, I think Crystal Palace do give big teams trouble, don't they? Because they've just got... The perfect setup to do it. You know, we were talking about Tottenham earlier in terms of their ability to just surrender possession and make chances. And I don't think Crystal Palace are quite at that level, obviously, but they, they, they're capable of causing real damage. They've got so much pace up front. 
so much quality in the likes of Zaha, Townsend can, can score from anywhere when he's on his, you know, on a good day. And you've got Willem runners in midfield and, and you know, experience and defence and quality there as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's never an easy one. You, you always do, of course, back Liverpool to, to get the win in, in this game. But, but, yeah, they never they never find it easy. So and I think it's going to be the same again because, you know, you saw Crystal Palace causing Tottenham themselves um, some, some trouble last weekend and then, you know, they, they looked like they've, they've got they've added well, haven't they, in the summer in terms of um, I've liked the looks of, of uh, Eberechieze. So he looks like a really capable player, and I quite liked him at QPR to be honest. So yeah, they they, they look dangerous again. So for Liverpool, it's, it's it's going to be another tough one. You know, those twelve thirty kickoffs. I know the turnaround for Palace has been difficult as well, but also. You know, it's still never easy to get the legs going. I think at that time of day, it's like Klopp's complained about that before, hasn't he? Quite how difficult that is. So, um, yeah, not an easy one, and, and one where you know they'll be desperate to just get the points on board again to just keep hold of that lead if they can. And then you've got a week to rest into the, the game after that, and you know they're feeling much better about things in terms of where the squad's at as well. So it's uh, yeah, it feels like a big game. Yeah, plenty of, of big games at the moment. Tottenham was a big one. This one feels like a big one as well, Theo. I mean, we'll come on to our team selectors very shortly, but how much rotation do you think they'll be considering, of course, it is that infamous Wednesday night, Saturday lunchtime turnaround? I think there'll be quite a few changes and added on to the fact that Klopp didn't use his substitutions against Tottenham, but also because they've got this week off, because I think it must be like the first time this season Liverpool have been able to have a full week where they can just train without the midweek game. And Jurgen Klopp must be looking forward to that so much. It's certainly an early Christmas present for him, isn't it? He can try and get um, a few of the players back training, see if he can get Thiago, Milner, Shakiri closer to a first-team return. And, and it's just using your options that you've got to get the job done against Crystal Palace. Uh, Wilfred Zaha, he always seems to cause them trouble, doesn't he? He's had James Milner sent off a couple of times. Uh, I suppose one benefit for Liverpool is Christian Benteke suspended. Now, that was something you might scoff at, um, but he's actually been in a bit of form recently. I think he's got three in his last three appearances, and he always seems to score against Liverpool. Or he certainly did earlier in his career. It'll be an interesting game, an interesting setup. Palace have been rather inconsistent. I think they're one of these teams that that's against a lower side. They don't quite perform to the same Liverpool. They can suffer a shock defeat. But if it's against one of the top sides, they are capable of causing damage. And Liverpool just got to hope they've got enough options to get the jobs done because we've seen in the past when Klopp has rotated, it's not quite been enough. No fans inside Selhurst Park, David. We know that London now is back into Tier 3 of the COVID regulations. Liverpool, Everton, Brighton and Southampton, the only clubs across the Premier League to have fans. And obviously we know Liverpool have a huge help when fans are inside Anfield. But I suppose you could say the same for Crystal Palace as well. So how much of a boost do you think that could be for Liverpool's chances? Yeah, I mean the atmosphere down there is is always one of the one of the key things I think that makes it difficult. I think Crystal Palace got really good young, you know, they're great at getting young supporters in. Um, you know, you've got that corner there, the homestead end is it, um, where the, the really vocal supporters are, and they're always, you know, all the way through the game, really behind the team. And you know, it's that sort of ground as well, isn't it? You know, an older ground, the, the, the seats are really close to the pitch, and it, you know, the fans can get on top of you when when Palace are playing well, in particularly so. So yeah, I think it's you know even though it would have only been obviously two thousand would have been allowed in there, we, we've seen that even that small number of fans can make a difference in games. Um, so I think it is a boost for Liverpool to to not have the fans in there, and um, they'll hope to sort of take advantage of that because you know Palace are, are on top for any period of the game or really enjoying. They, they've not got that roar behind them, and it you know doesn't unsettle Liverpool. So yeah, for for, for the visitors, I think you you just got to be thinking let's try and take advantage of this and and you know 
not allow Palace to build up any head of steam um, because, you know, they've not got that boost behind them. Let's move on to our team selectors. Then I think we can all agree on the goalkeeper, Alison Becker, but I'll come to you, Theo, first for the back four. Obviously, we spoke about how well Reese Williams had done before, but if Joel Matip is back and available, presumably, you'd put him straight back in. This is an awkward one with the back four because it's usually something you don't want to rotate, but then it's like, well, you don't have the midweek game. What do you want to do with it? Uh, it would be very easy to go tried and trusted, put Joel Matip back in and go for your, your strongest back four. But maybe there is a case there to say Fabinho could get a rest and you keep Reese Williams in. It's just a hard one to call, isn't it? Um, I think when you don't want to rotate too much in your defence to keep that stability. So uh, let, let's trust Joel Matip. Let's keep Fabinho in there for now. Trent Robertson and uh, hopefully Liverpool can be two, three goals up by 60, 65 minutes and you can take one of them off. Do you go along with that, David? Obviously, an eight-day gap for Liverpool after this one. They can go as much full strength as possible, can't they? Yeah, I think I think Joe Matip, like like Jürgen said, it was you know it was very close, wasn't he, to making the Tottenham game, which is sort of a last minute thing that he didn't quite make that one. So I think you do bring him back in, and, and yeah, you try and keep some consistency in defence if, if possible. So I think yeah, to go with that sort of familiar back five sort of makes sense to me, definitely. And I'll stay with you then for the midfield as well. Naby Keita back, he almost came on as a substitute midweek. Do you think there's a case for, for maybe him coming in or do you go with that same three again? I, I just think the concern about sort of, you know, rushing players back and, and, and being very careful with both Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain who've had injuries in the past might sort of lead Klopp to, to lean towards maybe going with tried and trust. Now, I think this is sort of my theory for the whole team, to be honest, is you know, other than maybe Matip is maybe thinking about the, the possibility of just saying, OK, we've got eight days after this, uh, you know, which is important training time for the likes of Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain. We've spoken about the other players who can come back. So can you just say to this 11, OK, just give me one more game. Let's just try and get through this one, try and get the points on the board, and then we'll see where we're at after that. So I think I think in midfield, my picks will be Wijnaldum, Henderson and, and Jones, just, in, just to try to ask them to, to do one more big push and then give them a rest uh, further down the line. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with those three. I think there's a good chance we could see Oxlade Chamberlain come off the bench. What do you think, Theo? Is there a case at all for Naby Keita? Um, Naby Keita's certainly a player that when you rush him back, he seems to break down again. I think we've seen it a couple of times, haven't we, in the past month. So for him, it makes sense to give him the full week of training and see where we're at then, use him off the bench because you don't want to risk him breaking down again. Uh, Oxlade Chamberlain, He's, I don't think he's had a substitute appearance yet, has he? So it would be a big ask to just throw him in from the start when he's just finding his way back into the side. But then I still think, having not made the substitutions, Jürgen Klopp will want to change something a little bit. So I suppose Takumi Minamino is really the only other option you could put into that midfield. And it's which player do you have dropping out? Um, I'd say Henderson starts in that deep role. He's so important to how Liverpool play. And when they've been in this spell without Van Dijk, without Milner, they need his leadership. Um, so Curtis Jones, he's been in such good form. Let's have him keeping his place and uh, Genie Wijnaldum can be afforded a rest. And up front then, Theo, I'll come to you first on this one. Diogo Jota progressing well in his recovery, but still some time off him being back in the team yet. Yeah, I suppose with that being the case, it probably picks itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it's probably going to have to be the, the tried and trusted front three, isn't it? Uh, Firmino, well, he's got his goal now. It'd be a right kick for him if he got uh, withdrawn. If he was on the bench, he'll be wanting to get that run of games and run of goals. He's had form at 
Crystal Palace before in the same set of Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah in the form of his Liverpool career. If I've just had Minamino in midfield, I think the only other attacking options are Regan. We've already said that he might be on his way. So, yeah, we'll go for the tried and trusted front three. There is a bit of a, a question over Sadio Mane, though, isn't there, at the moment, David? Not scored, I think, for, for nine matches now for Liverpool. But, again, you, you just put him back in because even if he's not scoring, he's still offering a huge amount to this Liverpool team. Yeah, I thought, you know, I thought the Tottenham game um, sort of summed up the, where he's at at the moment because he had a really difficult time up against Aurier for, for a lot of that game. And, and Aurier is not typically, the, you know, don't think of him as one of the great defenders of the, the Premier League, do you really? But um, it's just things just aren't quite going for Marnie at the moment. But it's just what I thought was brilliant about his performances. He just keeps going, keeps going. He doesn't let his head drop. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't start kicking out of players. He doesn't, you know, doesn't let it get to him at all. He just keeps, keeps trying, keeps pushing. So I think, yeah. You got to keep him in the team, and I'm sure the goals will come. He's, he's just too good of a player for him to stay in this run of form that he's in at the moment. He just maybe needs one to sort of bounce in off his knee from a corner or something like that, and then he'll he'll probably get on a run again. So, yeah, I think I think I'd agree with Theo there. Is, is stick with this front three again on the theory that you let's get one more push out of them and then see where we're at where we're at up, uh, or up to after that. Sorry. Yeah, I think uh, it's only a matter of time, isn't it, before Sadio Mane gets himself back onto the score sheet. And I'm going to back him in my prediction. I'm going to go 2-1 to Liverpool in this one. I think Sadio Mane might just break that little bit of a, a run. Theo, I'll come to you first for, for your prediction. What do you think it might be? Um, I think it's going to be 2-0. Like we've seen uh, in the last few weeks, Liverpool have looked a bit sluggish in the earlier kickoffs. If there have been fans in for Crystal Palace, I think it'd be a very different game. It had a big impact for Fulham last week. But without that little boost, and um, when they've also had this quick turnaround as well, I'd like to think Liverpool can have enough in the legs to get a more comfortable win that we've seen recently. Um, like I said, Firmino and Mane, they've definitely got form against Crystal Palace. They like a trip to Selhurst Park. So hopefully uh, they can get on the score sheet again. Same again from them. And David, your prediction for the match? Yeah, I think I'll back a 2-0 as well. I think maybe one of those where Liverpool get a goal in the first half, try and control things and maybe get a late breakaway. Um, and if you could get three points on board and sort of avoid any more injuries, that would be considered a, a perfect day for Jurgen Klopp. So, yeah, I'm, I'm backing a Liverpool win. Yeah, absolutely. Liverpool wins all round then in our match predictions. It could be a difficult game at Selhurst Park, but fingers crossed Liverpool can win, pick up the three points and guarantee themselves top spot in the Premier League on Christmas Day. For now, though, from myself, Matt Addison, from David Lynch and from Theo Squires. Until next time here on the Blood Red channel, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.